Bastien. We are trying to find out if this thing works. and welcome to the Max and Pat Hatterley Family Podcast. I'm here with my dad, Max Hatterley, and we're going to be diving into his mission years. Well, interestingly, it was this very time of year. I left in the mission field, but I got the mission call. I have actually no recollection of getting the mission call, but it must have been two or three months ago. And we sat down as a family and opened up the letter that called me to the Southwest British Mission. And I was supposed to enter the, I just about said MTC. There was no such thing as an MTC. It was just the mission home in Salt Lake sometime about a week ago, first part of November, I think. Anyway, so the thing that I, a couple of things I can remember, my dad somehow got a hold of the missionary discussions. Dad's sometimes seem to know how to do this kind of stuff. I was a dad, but I never knew how to do it. My dad got a hold of the six missionary discussions, which were in a little black um, notebook, leaflet type thing. Anyway, it was a either 92 or 96 pages, six discussions that we had to memorize. And he was quite insistent that I have some of that memorized before I went into the mission home. I was not too happy about that, but as is mostly the case, after I got there, I was sure thanking him. So as we traveled, that is my dad and probably my brothers, one or more of them, and I, between Freedom and Logan, in our car, and I don't know how he seemed to know this, but we would memorize scriptures and memorize the mission discussion and by the time I entered the, the mission home I had the first one and a half discussions memorized which was truly a astounding thing it was probably over a period of several weeks maybe a couple of months and I just couldn't believe I could even possibly possibly memorize that much stuff. It was just unbelievable. Anyway, and then we, then I went into the mission home and we spent 
roughly a week in the mission home. It was in a fairly big building. There was about 300 of us that went in mission home that week. That's roughly what went in per week back Where, in those where's days. Where's the mission home? Very close. I cannot remember the exact road. I don't know if it was on State Street or Main Street, uh, just sort of across the street from, I mean, the Temple Block. It was just right close to it. I, I actually Salt cannot. In Provo, in Logan. Oh, no, in Salt Lake. Yeah, in Salt Lake. I'm sorry. Because we could walk to Temple Square very easily and as i remember our eating we ate at the cafeteria area of the hotel utah so we would walk there so we were close right close to where all that stuff is and just a couple of little experiences about the mission home the very first day we were in meetings for, I don't know, 12 or 15 hours. And I remember that uh, after the first about three or four hours, the main thing I remember after that first three or four hours was taking serious humor and just looking around the room, watching everybody's heads bobbing as they were falling asleep. Nobody could stay awake. And I mean, we had general authorities. We had apostles. It was all great, but no, you still couldn't stay awake. I don't care what it was. If it would have been a three-ring circus, we would have probably slept through half of it. But I'm sure it was great. And I do remember one thing when we were eating... In the cafeteria at the Hotel Utah, we had all 300 of us in there, wherever it was. And we were packed in there like sardines. I'm not sure if I'm making a joke of this or if it was actually the case that we had to feed the guy next to us because we were packed so tight that we could not actually reach our own mouth. But that's the way it felt. And you had roommates or what? We had, we had yeah, missionary companions. I do remember the very first second when we walked in, it was probably, I don't know, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon or maybe noonish or something, whatever it was, as we walked through the entrance and we're signing in, just like going into the army probably, that the receptionist or the desk clerk who whoever it was that was signing this signing us in told us that we had a meeting at whatever time it was about two hours later and, <clears throat> and to have the fourth section of the doctrine and covenants memorized by them and fourth section of the doctrine and covenants is not very long and it is certainly a missionary discussion but whatever it was i didn't know and it terrified me this whole experience was terrifying me beyond belief
anyway, because it was terrifying me so much, I went into whatever our room was, met my companion, and then whatever he was doing, I had no clue. I didn't care. I sat in a corner someplace and pounded like crazy. And by meeting time, I had it, this discussion on this section, section four memorized. Which I'm not exactly sure why we had to have it memorized by then. I think it was just the pressure cooker of this is what you guys are going to do now. I mean, it was just like a drill sergeant. So we did it. And I had that pretty firmly in my mind for many years. I actually still remember much, much of it. Um, at this second, I can't think of too many other experiences in the mission home other than on about the fourth or fifth day, we went to the temple, which was the Salt Lake Temple. For many people, it was probably the first time that my parents had taken me to the Logan Temple where we lived at least once before that. But I do remember being in the Salt Lake Temple. And out of 300 people, I was 297. So I was on the back row second or third from the end by the time they got to me i was utterly sound to sleep in the last room before i mean you can, those of you who have been through the temple know what i'm talking about anyway and they came and thumped me on the shoulder or something to wake me up i'm sure my companions that were sitting around me were all sound asleep too and in fact after the first day the main thing we did was sleep in all of our classes because it was so much sitting, so much meetings and pounding into our head, everything that it was beyond all of us as anything we had ever been through in our entire life. And it was utterly ridiculous. But it was fine. In fact, it was great. I'm sure. And I wish I could just think right offhand anything else came to my mind about the mission home. What did you think when you got called to your mission? Oh, okay. You just reminded me of something. My dad... <clears throat> worked for Beneficial Life Insurance Company and the president of Beneficial Life Insurance Company was George I. Cannon. And there is some other Cannons, George Q. Cannon, that was, I think, a general authority and George I. Cannon became a general authority. But anyway... At that moment, the president of Beneficial Life was the mission president of the Central British Mission. And to say the least, my parents wanted me to go to the Central British Mission. 
because they know Brother Cannon very well, President Cannon, and I had met him a couple of times. <clears throat> As we have stated earlier, the main place that I remember was in San Diego because he was the one that got us out of this dumpy-looking flamingo-type motel into the Hilton Inn beside the San Diego Bay. And he was in his beach clothes. And I mean, this was President Cannon, the president of the Beneficial Life, now the mission president. And to say the least, when we opened the mission call to the Southwest British Mission, my parents were severely disappointed. I don't think I cared less, probably, but it terrified me, absolutely terrified me beyond belief. If I would have been going to South Cache in northern Utah, I think I would have been terrified. But I was terrified. What else can I think of? Didn't you want to... You talked about going to England because you knew you wouldn't have to learn a language, and yet it would still be foreign. Yeah. I'm sure I had those thoughts. I cannot remember them at this moment. But I'm sure I did. <clears throat> um, can't think of anything else right this second to do with the mission home. How long were you at the mission home? One week. Oh. I don't know what day we went in, but I think it was Monday. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was pretty sure it was by 7. We were supposed to have that section memorized at our first meeting. At 9 or 10 or 10.30 or something, lights out. 6 o'clock in the morning. Jump right up. Could have been Bishop Rigby. It was, it was absolutely a, an army style of, of regimentation. I guarantee you, there was. We had a half an hour. Everything was outlined to the minute. It was absolutely like the, the army, except that everybody was smiling and pretending to love everybody. <laughs> Anyway, I can't remember anything else right this minute. So the end of the week came, and now we were about this exact time of year, first part of November, first week or something in November, and the weather was crummy on and off, as I remember, and my parents drove to Salt Lake again because that's what everybody did. They drove down, and everybody... Had a big hoopla goodbye as you entered the mission home. Then a week later, they drove back down again, just like we did every year for our own kids, only to Provo and saw them off on the plane. And I got on my airliner for the first time. Maybe it was my airplane for the first time, period. I can't remember if I'd ever been on an airplane or not. But I remember the airplane. It was a 
Boeing 727. I don't think they even use them anymore. Am I supposed to keep going? Oh, anyway, and the only thing I remember about that is pretty much everything is mechanical to me, but as it taxied down to the end of the runway, and then most everybody's been on planes now, but anyway, pulled around and got in line, and then got the go-ahead, and the captain did what all airliners do, and that's push the throttles on the engines to full throttle, and in my life to that point, I'd never felt the push of that much horsepower. I'd never felt anything like it before. I just sunk you into the seats because that's what it does. And those three engines, that plane 727 had three engines, one of which was up in the tail. I can still remember that. The other two were on the sides of the tail. So all three were in the rear of the plane. I'm not sure I've even seen a plane in today's world like that. They're all under the wings, but or most of them. Anyway, it was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever felt. And then I spent the next couple of hours absolutely in terror because that plane was going nonstop from Salt Lake to Chicago. And we landed in Chicago, and I had never, that is not true, I had been to New York, I'd been to Seattle. I had been to San Diego. Diego. I had been to a big city, but not in an airport. And I had never seen anything like this before. It was, the airport was a city. I I mean, all airports are cities now. Salt Lakes is a city. Anyway, and I was absolutely terrified that I was going to miss my connection. And I can't remember if they took us on a bus. It almost seems like they did to our connection. But it was a terrifying experience. Somehow we made it. When you say we, what do you Okay, well, usually there was more than one of you traveling together. And honestly, I cannot quite remember. I do remember on the way home. But on the way over, I can't remember if I had another, if I had a companion traveling with me or not. But he offered me, if I did have a companion, zero confidence. Because he knew nothing either. Anyway, we made it. And then we boarded a Boeing. This was the biggest plane built. Boeing 707, which was nonstop from Chicago to London. And so we got on that plane and spent the next seven hours, which for some of you, you've been on longer flights than that now, but that was a long time sitting there pondering terror because that's what I was pondering, was my terror. And we finally 
came to London, and I can't remember which airport. There's more than one airport in London, I can promise you. So I don't know if it was the big main one, Heathrow, or another one, but as the plane descended into London, I thought that I had um, gone backwards in time about two to 500 years. As I had left Salt Lake and northern Utah, and now I was landing down and I could see out the plane's windows and everything looked dark and dingy and dirty and archaic. And I just couldn't even believe what I had done. And I hate to say this, but I guess I ought to be start being more truthful. I never did write any of this stuff in diaries because I didn't dare have anybody know what I really thought about anything. And But anyway, when I very first was leaving for the mission field, in addition to terror, I was also unbelievably relieved because I was getting out of prison. That was my word that I used to myself from under my dad and mother's rigid thumb. And I thought that right up to the moment that we walked into the mission home. And then I realized I was just entering prison. <laughs> but it was a terrifying prison. Anyway, we landed in London and everything was gray and just like I just described it. And I, I literally thought that I had gone backwards a few hundred years. And I can't remember who met us there. I think there was an us. Pretty sure there was at least one more person there. I didn't know him. He meant nothing to me and he wasn't any help. I wasn't any help to him. But anyway, somebody met us and put us on a train. And we traveled from London to Bristol and got out in Bristol and it was the same thing. It took about two hours. If I remember right, about a two hour train ride. And by this time, I'm sure it was dark. And of all the most terrifying things I've ever been through, oh my God, it was just unbelievable. And foggy, it was this time of year, so it was getting cold. And it was wet, cold. I never quite felt anything like this before. And you couldn't see anything, all the buildings that looked gray and ancient. And Bristol was a huge city. Of course, London, we didn't see London because we were just at the airport or traveling by some method to the train station. I can't remember any of it, except the terror. Got to the mission home, and the mission home, everything just looked ancient. It just, I couldn't believe it. it just, like the architecture? Yeah, just 
looked like the whole world. Cobblestone was, streets. I do not think the streets were cobblestone anymore. But other than that, it was solid rows of buildings, which I later came to find out they called council houses, which would be nothing more than just gigantic apartment houses. This like this apartment house that Michael's got built over here on Where the Park. Where? By Freeman Park. Yeah, by Freeman Park, but I'm trying to remember the name of the road. I, I'm on it every single day. That's where I go get Britain. Mom and I have been over there, but you remember those apartments. I mean, there's about 30 apartments solid. Only they're really modern-looking buildings. And then there's another about the same amount on the other side of the road. That's what these are, only there's miles of them. And they're all dark and grangy and gray. And, of course, this is my perception because it was nighttime and it was cold and foggy and Anyway, we walked through the front door of the Wells house. That was a lot of the, a lot of the buildings over there. They have names on their buildings. Anyway, that was the name of our mission home. And we were greeted by these smiling, absolutely wonderful, beautiful people that were pretending to love us and just make us feel so welcome. And, and so we were smiling back and pretending to be happy to be there. And it was just all so wonderful and so terrifying. And, oh, my goodness, I, I just can't even tell you how terrible it was. I was scared beyond anything I have ever. And I had been through a lot of scary things already by that time. I just remembered one thing. It's nothing to do with the mission field. Back a year earlier, when I was going to Utah State and went through those um, the talent, yeah, show the talent things. show things. But a previous year to that, I got my first taste of those talent show things because in our high school, yeah, as kids. My brothers and sisters will know this, but nobody else will. In Logan High School, every year they did an assembly towards the end of the year called the Senior Hits. And somebody, it's got to be Alan Edwards, who at that time was posing as my best friend. I wasn't too sure after this experience, but... He was a year younger than me, and he lived in our ward. Great kid. In fact, their family was wonderful, absolutely. Convinced me to play a, a song, a, a musical number on the senior hits. Anyway, and I talked a lot about Aunt Vivian, who was my constant companion after I got to high school or college, but here's where it began. She became my companion there, too. And so I got up in front of that high school, same story that happened a year later many times. The lights went out and the spotlight came on. I'm on stage, Vivian and I, and I played that first number in front of about a thousand kids. It was a terrifying experience, I'll tell you. What did you play? Fiddle faddle. 
anyway, the house roared after, but it was a terrifying experience. Anyway, the, my whole life was a terrifying experience. Just can't even believe it. Anyway, so now I'm in the mission field, and and I remember that we hadn't been in the mission home. It must not have been in the evening. It must have been in the afternoon when we arrived. But, I mean, it gets dark at middle of the afternoon, so I'm pretty sure it was dark, but it might have been 5 o'clock or 5.30 or something. All of a sudden, somebody was ringing through the yelling through the mission home. I mean, there was a lot of activity in there. Good gravies. Missionaries were walking around and uh, sisters, lady missionary. No, we didn't have lady missionaries. I think there was four in our whole mission or six. But um, mission home staff and the cook and, and Sister Barton, President Sister Barton were mission president and mission mom. And we had a brief interview with both of them. And she was just, uh, President Barton was a doctor, medical doctor. <coughs> anyway, he was not a bubbly, fun type of guy. He was very much a um, sober, down-to-business guy, but loving Sister Barton was just like anybody's mom that you would think. And she was just wonderful and loving. Barton just gave us a bunch of practical mom type instructions. And I can't remember any of them except be careful of what you eat. These folks love greasy foods. Her words were very much verified. And very shortly. How was the food in England? Uh, some of it was all right. Most of it took some serious getting used to. Some of it was outright horrible. <laughs> but I guess that's the way it is everywhere. But I just got to remember one little thing here that happened that night. After we had our brief interviews with President Sister Barton, Somebody in the house, some missionary, called out that they had a discussion at 7 o'clock. I need a companion. Is there anybody around here that can go with me? And they were just yelling around everybody. Everybody was looking around. Elder Hatterley, you go with him. And my stomach, I, I'm surprised I didn't have heart attacks. I, I just, I can't even believe how my heart lived through all this. It just, my stomach jumped into my mouth. I couldn't breathe for 10 minutes. Heart was pounding, and I went out with Elder whoever. Never heard of him, never saw him again in my life. Went out onto the streets of this city. Bristol was a huge city. And we went into these people's houses. Of course, I didn't say anything. But I was listening, and that's where I realized that, that my parents' fantasy that I go to an English-speaking mission, but foreign, was the biggest load of crock on the face of this planet. I couldn't understand one thing they said, not anything.
was the most of my I, I thought that I had gone to Germany or somewhere. Couldn't understand anything. And my terror level just skyrocketed again because I knew it was coming. That night he was doing the talking, but I knew the next night. Oh, we better stop here. class they both played violin one day he got up the nerve to try to reel her in he asked her would you like to see my fancy set of wheels she said yes and that was that soon they became something real then one night on a hill overlooking town he took her hand and said to her as he knelt upon the ground let's make some music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a melody i feel when i'm with you so let's join together forever and she smiled and said yes let's do let's make some music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a harmony i feel when i'm with you so let's join together forever no matter what we do then they began to speculate what the future might hold they said maybe we'll have a lot of kids and raise them somewhere cold maybe they'll learn piano and we'll live on a farm and we'll try to teach them right from wrong and keep them safe from harm and maybe we'll have our share of trials but maybe it'll all work out maybe we'll live in a few good small towns as we learn what life's about and maybe we'll make music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a melody i feel when i'm with you so let's join together forever no matter what we do yes let's make music all through our lives some simple music all through our lives there's a harmony i feel when i'm with you so let's join together forever no matter what we do the music of love the music of hope of faith and joy maybe we don't know everything maybe we'll just enjoy that we're making music all through our lives
some simple music all through our lives. And maybe in 50 years we'll be gathered near and far. And our kids will honor us and give thanks to us for teaching them that life's not so hard with music all through our lives. Some simple music all through our lives. And now that it's been 50 years, we can see it all came true. So glad I feel this melody and harmony whenever.